I mean, the amount of mm. suicide that has, you know, like, that has been triggered because of this. It's crazy. So the amount of loss, kids, women, men also, you know, I mean, mm. like, it's just savage. It's just like a genocide. And it is, you know, and it's very hard to yeah. say that, but it is what it was. Like. Mental health. You are very welcome to the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, where, like the title suggests, we straight talk mental health. We do this to remove the stigma around mental health and make it just a little bit easier to talk about. I'm Cameron Clark, I'm a journalism student, and joining me is my father, my psychotherapist father, Alan Clark. Alan, would you like to tell the listeners what it is that you do, professionally, of course? Professionally. Outside of getting abused on the podcast by you, I, professionally, I am a psychotherapist in private practice with a degree in counselling and psychotherapy and a master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy. And I had to hold off my cup of tea there because as I was going to take a drink, you were starting to intro me. So I've been, I've been holding the cup off to speak. <laughs> I was just about to take a drink and then you said it. I was like, oh, hold, hold, steady, steady. <laughs> Well, if you haven't listened before, you now know who we are and what we do. And this week, we are straight talking The Chewing Babies with filmmaker Teresa Lavina. Teresa is the director of an upcoming documentary, Untold Secrets, which tells the story of a survivor of The Chewing Babies. And Teresa is going to tell her tell us about her story there. I'm just going to put in a trigger warning now. We do have one in the interview, but this, this is triggered. a very... yeah. It's, <laughs> As you said, Chewing Babies, you may have just heard me go... Yeah, that was involuntarily. This is a very heavy subject, and much like our episode with Anne Marie a few weeks back, it's it's going to affect people. You're very likely going to get emotional, as you'll hear in the interview. Alan himself gets emotional, which is is a, is a rare thing for him. He's fairly good at controlling them. Not on this. So this triggers no, me. This fucking yeah. So me. just this subject triggers me. Listen at your own discretion. If you need to take a break, do that and come back. But please listen to the whole interview. It's very important. And especially now, when this is currently being talked about as much as it is, we need people to be aware of what's going on with the chewing babies. Yeah. So please just listen the whole way through. Listeners around the world, if you haven't heard, you're going to be pretty fucking horrified when you hear what the chewing babies is and what the chewing mother and baby's home was. So just to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we've gotten all that out of the way, Alan, how have you been? Alright. <laughs> Sometimes we record our bit first and then we do the interview. We recorded the interview first and now we're doing our bit. So we fucking wound up. Wound up every, every, time, every time we record these heavy topics, we record it before our own bit. <laughs> and we always regret it because going into our own bit then we're a little mm. bit down the yeah, We can pick it up. We can get, we can get the yeah. face on. Yeah. Okay, well, before today, or before an hour ago, I should say. How have you been? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. I've been been all right. Uh, sleep is still still okay. I'm not. It's, it's not great. Still awake. I'm once or twice in the night. Still eluding you. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm but I'm better. I'm awake since twenty past six this morning, which is better than five o'clock yesterday morning. So um, step by step. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. How have you been? Well, I'm fresh off a bad day. Not a bad mental day. Just just one of those bad days. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk you through it. So this this was Tuesday. Paint a picture, Cameron. I'm painting the picture, okay? Much like Leonardo da Vinci, I'm painting the picture. <laughs> and nearly fucking spat me to you, bollocks. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so so you've already prepped us that this is going to be da Vinci-esque. <laughs> exactly. Eight, eight o'clock, I'm in the gym. 
For any non-gym goers, I was using a lat- lateral pull-down bar, which is basically a 10 kilo bar. It's very long. And you put it on a cable machine, you pull it down, mm. works out your back. Mm. What I was not made aware of was that the cable in the gym is slightly wonky. And if you want to change the weight that the cable is pulling, you have to take off the bar first because the bar is heavier than the cable itself. So when you take the <laughs> the, the restrictor out, the bar plummets down. Yeah. I am di- sitting directly underneath this bar. So this bar plummets on top of my head, which is now helping me sport a very large bruise under my very heavy, thick head of hair that I'm currently wearing. <laughs> so that, that that was the start of it. Well, I, that, I got that, home. That's that's up there with them. Oh, they're not done. I was just going to say, well, already we're up there with the Mona yeah. Lisa. Okay, we're, yeah, we're, we're exactly. going further here. Exactly. Yeah. We're going okay. The rest, of the, rest of the workout, yeah, thankfully, went man. well. Yeah, usually when something goes wrong in the gym, it normally piles up, but mm. that was the only thing that went wrong in the gym. I got home, I filled up. I have... um. It's about, it's, I think it's a half a gallon water bottle. That, that's how it was measured when I bought it. So it's, it's big enough. Mm. I, I fill it up. I normally put it in the fridge for the next morning. I filled it up, went to put it in the fridge and dropped it. The bottle proceeded to explode. Oh, fuck. And pour water over the entire floor and me. <laughs> so I was down a water bottle and down the clothes I had just changed into. <laughs> I then made my second breakfast. I was, have, I was having some eggs and some sausages. You fucking hobbit. <laughs> Don't think they've heard a second breakfast, Pip. No, you have to, you have to, eat, before, you have to eat before and after you work out. That's how Lunch? Afternoon but tea? Supper? I burnt, dinner? I burnt all three of my eggs, which I almost never do. Burnt <laughs> all three of them. And as you know, burnt eggs are the most disgusting thing ever. Yeah, yeah, you don't need a burnt egg. Oh. No, no. So I didn't eat them. So breakfast was, was ruined. <laughs> I had about four hours before I had to go to college. And after all this had happened, I had been debating going to college because the Tuesday class is just kind of boring. Mm. So I didn't really want to go. But anyways, about an hour before I was due to leave, I got up and showered. I had I had dinner I had dinner at two o'clock because I'd go to college, which really upset me because that's far too early. <laughs> but anyways, I was ready to go. I got down to the train station. I bought me ticket, paid for parking, sitting there waiting. Trains a couple of minutes late. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. But it's not too bad because I have like a 20 minute window when I get to Dublin where I have to wait anyway. So I don't mm. mind waiting. An announcement comes on to say my train has been cancelled due to an incident on the tracks. Mm. Well, I went fucking mad. <laughs> it's like, I fucking knew it. I knew it shouldn't have come. There's no train for another hour and a half after that. So I wouldn't have made. Well, I would have made my class, but there would have been half an hour left. I would have missed an hour and a half of it or Fuck. so. So I turned around and went home down 22.50. From oh, the train ticket and the parking. Fuck's sake. Got back to the house and I was like, I should have just listened to my gut. I shouldn't have went <laughs> in. I told myself I shouldn't have went in because something bad was going to happen. I told mm. one of the lads that I shouldn't have went in because something bad was going to happen. So th- this is not a rile. This is a life lesson to everyone. <laughs> if, if your gut tells you to do something, do it. Listen to your gut. Yeah. yeah. And that, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, is an aural podcast version of the vitruvian man that was exactly. da vinci-esque <laughs> exactly so that that is my monologue for today i was going to call it a royal but this yeah. is far too great to be a royal too big too big for a royal. Yeah. it <laughs> okay. surpasses the criteria of a royal mm. we had um we had a different topic last week yeah we had some great guests on me yeah. you and peter oh <laughs> uh, man and big fucking numbers on the episode yeah, see, we we were released in our full forms. I don't know. It's 
we, we were like some people were like I, I can't make fucking sense of it like we we're like i was thinking nah, it's probably not gonna do good you know numbers on this people it's not a topic people aren't you know it's not a guest and it's fucking huge numbers on it but so, sometimes people don't want to guess like even if i'm listening to the podcast i listen to mm. sometimes when there's a guest on i don't really want to listen mm. because it's not what i'm used to i like hearing just what i'm you know what i'm there to listen to yeah. well, so maybe, maybe that's what it was and, and maybe the listeners can tell us maybe once a month or something, if we had an episode like that of just just having a chat like that, maybe I don't know. People are interested in that. We could. We're more than capable of doing it. Oh, we are. Every time, every time the three of us are on, yeah, we have care to do what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, care for what you wish for. <laughs> so, Doesn't seem not to be about mental health. We'll just talk. Yeah, we'll just come on. Yeah, shoot the breeze, shoot the shit. Mm. Mm. Well, what uh, we had, Andrew, your friend, your old fucking good old buddy, Andrew, <laughs> <laughs> who fired shots at you. <laughs> he um, he gave a plug on on the episode last week. He shared it. He shared it to his story. Paul has also been very active in a sharing over the last couple of weeks. Oh, Paul, even more Paul's so the king, usual. man. Paul, yeah, Paul's no, the king. And Paul, Paul is the king. But mm. over the last couple of weeks, geez, we're getting two or three a day. It's great. Yeah, that's that's, that's why Paul's the king. Everyone else, you need to up your game. He don't we need game. game. You know, we, we, <laughs> we don't even share it two or three times a day. <laughs> yeah, very true. We need we need to up our game. <laughs> Paul is setting the standards, and we are falling horribly below them. Yeah. <laughs> and see, we're not aware that after twenty four hours they dissipated forever. I, I fucking took it, man. I, it's vanished. Okay, well, I, I'll talk about some of the stuff Paul said. Yeah. Paul. Paul retweeted. Our, I believe it was our promotional post for the podcast yes. before it came out. Yeah. Paul said, stick these guys on in the car on your way to work or in the kitchen while you're making breakfast. Have a listen. They're great. And you may learn some stuff too. That's right, Paul. You may. Because sometimes <laughs> we are not very informed. A good caveat. That's, that's a little <laughs> asterisk that needs to be added. Yeah. Everyone, you may learn something. You probably yeah. won't, but you may. <laughs> you may. Yeah. Paul also said, after listening to the episode, I listened to today's episode twice. Twice. Yeah. There's some episodes I don't even listen to once. <laughs> oh! Because because I know what's going on. Yeah. No. I listened to today's episode twice as I missed stuff the first time around. Good content as usual. I'm feeling a bit shy. A bit, oh, a bit shit today. My mistake. Today, so going to try relax a bit this evening. I hope okay. all is well with you guys. Mm-hmm. Come on, Paul. We hope and we hope all is well with you, today. Paul. Better, hope. better day today, Paul. Your yeah, day wasn't I did shit. get one of Andrews. I found one of Andrews. I didn't get the one where he said, sometimes you just need to listen to three Irish guys talking bollocks. And I was like, yeah, I think I think it was this one. I don't know. It's vanished. But he did say that sometimes you just need to listen to something. It was something like along the lines. Sometimes you just need to listen to different episode this week. Sometimes you just need to listen to three Irish guys talking bollocks. I was like, well, that could be any any episode, really. Yeah. <laughs> but he did. He did put up a more um, uh, a bigger post. And he gave permission to share it. I wasn't sure whether to share it in the story, but I did. The last three years have been pretty tough. The past 18 months have been really fucking difficult. The past three months nearly finished me. This isn't a cry for help, but a thank you to everybody that has been there. Some of you reading this will know your part, others not. But I can tell you this, whether you realize it or not, you've managed to keep me going through various means and methods, and I'm eternally grateful. I'm going to be the person in this picture again. It's a picture of himself. And it really wouldn't have happened without your support. If you do know someone struggling, just be there and give it. Give them and get them to give these folks a listen. Straight talking podcast. That's the impact that the podcast has had on Andrew and Paul and many of our other listeners. And that's why, you know, we get our fans, our super fans, like like the mm. lads. That's just that the podcast has meant a lot to them. And they 
it means a lot to us that they reciprocate that by by giving a share and a story mentioned and everything else. Because of the topics we talk about and how well we mentioned every week that there's a stigma around mental health, mm. it's hard to get a very wide listenership because there is a lot of people that aren't aware of the impact of mental health just yet. Mm. But it means a lot to have listeners like Paul and Andrew and everyone who checks in every week and shares mm. us every week because it, it can mean a lot more to have 10 fans that are 10 super fans than 100 just fans who may listen maybe once every couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. But that And that's the power. That's the power of the internet. That's the power of podcasts. That's, you know, myself and P, just two fucking former rappers, decided to set up that. And then you come in. You, you've stepped in. You've filled it. We do what we can to spread awareness. Mm. And... You know, we just we just try to do it as as best we can. You know, we get nothing from it. it costs us money. Uh, I have a discussion with someone later on. It's probably going to end up costing me more money to try and publicize the podcast. Um, <laughs> we'll speak a little bit more on that perhaps in future. But you know, we we get nothing from it. We give a lot to it, and what we get back from it is messages like that from from Andrew and Paul and. Paul Paul gave us a plug at the weekend as well. Morning, folks, on Twitter at STMH Podcast. Morning, folks. I'm just sat having breakfast and listening to some back episodes. Back episodes. You hear that? Back episodes. Listening to more, more than once. <laughs> you don't even to listen to one time. It's amazing that these guys aren't bigger than they are. They do so much good for so many people. They've helped me massively, and they do this shit for free. We do indeed, Paul. We do indeed. Yeah. And just to kind of touch on my little announcement last week, I, I will be stepping away from the podcast at least for a while. Mm. But it does, it means so much that there's there's people like Paul out there. And Paul sometimes tweets me and Andrew tweets me. Well, actually, no, Andrew, he? Sub, he subtweets me. Oh, does he? Is he coming he at you? Is he coming at you directly, no, is he? No, no, you know, that's what a subtweet is. It's coming at someone indirectly. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So he indirectly tweets me. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, even though Andrew's message was not very nice to me, it meant a lot that um, <laughs> people were reaching out because of the podcast, and even though I am stepping away, it's still it's had a it's had a great impact on me for the. When are you? When are you stepping here. away? This is a conversation we probably need to have off air. But have you decided? <laughs> probably soon. This this could be my last week. I might might be able to step in next week. Okay. No pressure on me to find someone else then, folks. I will try and keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't, it's not my fault. <laughs> I know, I, I'll I'll give you a window to try and to try and find people. All right, all right, Pete, you listening? I know you're listening because you always listen. <laughs> Need you back, buddy. <laughs> if if today is my last episode, I'm just kind of. Yeah, you can, today can't be your last. We need to, no. to give you. So we need to give you a send off if that, if that okay. is the case. Yeah, today can't be. Today can't. Be. Okay. Yeah. So thanks to Paul. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks to you. We'll give you a proper thank you at the time. Woo-hoo! Uh, Tom, okay, loved, well. Tom loved last week's episode Tom sent us a message on Facebook straight talking mental health loved it great work again boys and we're like what the fuck like <laughs> it got big numbers it got big shares it got big comments and we're just going <laughs> well that was like this This was like such a short notice thing that we we didn't have a guest because you, you obviously try until very late in the week to, to get a guest like you, you don't mm. normally give up don't be fucking early don't be you just no, them, man. don't be telling them that we did no, have it. No, we no. just we just we decided to do that one. <laughs> no, I think it's better if it's um if it's not preemptive. 
<laughs> because it shows that on the fly we can produce great quality episodes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, okay, right. We didn't have a guest last week. We have other ones lined up for future, but we, yeah. just, we couldn't make one. We couldn't yeah, make one so, happen. Yeah, so, week, some so. weeks when get, when guests have to reschedule. You're it. right, Cameron. No, you're right. You know, straight talking mental health. We tell the truth. You've told the truth. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's why it was just a treat. We don't we don't front for the listeners. No, no, no but front. So, no bullshit. We do we do have listeners lined up most weeks, but sometimes when they have to reschedule, yeah. we don't normally have a backup. Mm. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard to get one one guest a week. We can't yeah. get two or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we so we decided. Well, we we had we had mentioned this sort of episode mm. a good few times over, especially mm. over the last kind of month and a half. And we thought, mm. with it being Men's Mental Health Month, it might be a good time to use our fallback option, mm. just having the three of, three of us yeah. on to talk about. We, we played the wild everything. card. We played the Joker. Yeah, we're out. We're out of those now. <laughs> we're guests, now. <laughs> guests, please don't leave. <laughs> We we only get one of those every every year or so. Mm. <laughs> but that's that's as, every, over a year and a half. That's the first one we've done. Yeah, that was yeah, what, we actually, episode seventy seven. When we when we wrapped up last week, we were kind of thinking about what we should call the episode, and we were we were scrolling through every other episode we've done to see if we've done something like that before, mm. and we hadn't. No. We had a guest or a topic at least every week, mm-hmm. so we just said, "Well, it's three lads talking about their mental health." men's mental health it's our mental health yeah. yeah so maybe that's what we'll stick with sort of a little behind the scenes a BTS of what goes on in the <laughs> wow. Shred Talk of all Mental the, all Health podcast all the technical yeah. jargon yeah not BTS the band the K-pop oh, yeah. band oh yeah we don't we don't want them coming for us v- vaguely heard of them who are yeah. massive around the world if I understand yeah. it oh, their fans are terrifying yeah, yeah so please we weren't trying to mention them mm. so like everyone else has, well, I say everyone, like our lovely listeners have shared the podcast and mentioned the podcast, you can do so too. You can find us on Twitter at stmhpodcast. It's very similar to our website, stmhpodcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talking Mental Health. You feel free to slide into the DMs. We don't mind that. No unsolicited dick pics, please. <laughs> Unless you're a homie, then no, it's fine. No. Uh, direct message Cameron's Twitter uh, you know, DM slide into his DMs. We only don't if you're a homie. I don't want them. Even if you're a homie, I don't want you. Well, only the homies into his DMs. I don't yeah. want them. Full stop. And any, any non, any non homies. It's not you know, dicks aren't the most appealing thing at the best of times. Fucking shout out to every woman that thinks so. But like, let's be honest. Let's be yeah. truly honest. Between a penis and a vagina, vagina wins. You know, uh, a penis is just not. A, it's 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 not an attractive appendage. No. So. Well, for any non-homies out there, do not send me a dick pic. <laughs> I will beat you up. Every, he will not. Every, everyone else, do fucking send them dick pics. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him you want to be a homie. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you if you slide in what I want to be a homie first, without the dick pic, then... Homie we'll, we'll, request. <laughs> we'll have a discussion. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah, I can't I can't grant homie status just like that. But not just <laughs> if you'll pardon the pun, not just willy nilly. <laughs> you can't just be a homie willy nilly. There is there are several stages of negotiations to go through. <laughs> outside of outside of homies, dick pics. Do slide into the DMs if you want to get us on any of the social media. What is the social media camera? I just I just shared it all. He didn't, because he didn't give the email, because I've been waiting here to plug an email, going, speaking of the email. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought we only plugged the email at the end. Well, we're happy to do that. But, okay. okay, right, so Twitter, STMH Podcast. Tweet at us. Please give a retweet if you if you, if you you can 
do enough to click a like or click the heart button on the tweet, yeah, probably going to do the same to hit retweet. You know, that, that helps us a lot more. That's what people can see. Instagram, Facebook, Straight Talking Mental Health. The website, straightstmhpodcast.com. If you would like to email us, like our upcoming correspondence that I'm about to read out did, Emily, you can do so at hello at stmhpodcast.com. Emily, if you are listening to this, I will reach out to you because I think this would be a good topic to cover, not something we have covered, but I will read out Emily's correspondence. Hey guys, I wanted to take a minute to let you know, well, first of all, thanks for taking a minute, that means a lot to us. I wanted to take a minute to let you know how much I love the show and how brilliant it is to have some real talking. The sheer fact you guys say life as it F asterisk hashtag K ing. I'm gonna say it, Emily. How life as it fucking is. You Emily, you can curse with us. We don't mind. Yeah, we look look who you're talking to here. You don't need to censor your shit. Fucking bring it. Bring it correct. The sheer fact you guys say life as it fucking is, rather than racking, wrapping it up with ribbons and bows, is so good to hear. The show has me laughing so much. Listening to you chatting, moaning. You'll definitely hear a lot of that. Talking as we all do is a breath of fresh air, yet cover the issues of mental health in a down-to-earth but to the point way as me trying to find time in a busy day to grab a podcast if I can. I recently finished a course as a teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR, and this is why I will reach out to Emily to see if she would like to go on and discuss that. After struggling with depression for 20 years, I believe there's no point in covering life's difficult covering life's difficult situations up in glitter and gold because life is impermanent. There's some of that Buddhist teaching she's taken. And learning skills to cope with those challenges is more realistic than listening to some shows that try and say everything will be okay. Even as a mindfulness teacher, I have shit days, things to moan about and rant at, because that is the reality of life. Keep doing what you're doing. Love the show. Emily from Bridlington, UK. That sounds, that sounds like a, sounds like a place. I was, no, you know what I was going to say? sounds like such an English name. Upper Bridlington. Lower Bridlington. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we have tea? Cucumber sandwiches? <laughs> Bridlington. There's just some names in England that you'd never get under. They're just so distinctly English. And I think yeah. that's one of them. Bridlington. Yeah. Thanks, Emily. I'm going to hit you up with an email, Emily, to see if you'd like to come on and talk about MBSR. I could talk about it myself, but why should I? When we have people out there that can talk about it. <laughs> that is mindfulness based stress reduction. We need guests. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need them, but we like them. <laughs> we really like them. We really like them, because eh? it takes some of the pressure off me of having to research topics. Yeah. Okay, have you got a smile and or royal for us? I have got a smile and a or royal. Um, I have I have some of those both. Which would you like first, young man? I think we'll go royal first. Royal first. All right. It's going to tie in with, uh, somewhat tie in with today's topic of systemic abuse. I recently watched a documentary. <laughs> You'd be surprised to hear. Doesn't sound like something I do, I know. Sounds no. very our character. God, you've never watched documentaries. Watch a documentary. I never, it's something I never do. And I watched a documentary on the Miami show band killings. You familiar with this? I am not. Okay. You need to Enlighten check this me. out on, on, on Netflix. Thanks to Netflix for having having it up there as, as a topic because, oh man, oh man. We're Irish, in case you couldn't tell by the accent. Uh, Ireland has a history of sectarianism, Catholic against Protestant, particularly in Northern Ireland. The Miami show band were a band in the 70s. These would play dance halls and stuff like that, doing cover versions of rock rock and roll songs, etc. They were absolutely massive in the country. 31st of July, 1975, uh, they were stopped and a bomb was exploded, killing three members of the Miami show band. They were traveling to Dublin late at night after a gig. 
their minibus was stopped at what appeared to be a military checkpoint and where gunmen in British army, army uniforms lined them up by the roadside. Three, at least, sorry, four of the gunmen were soldiers in the British Army's Ulster Defence Regiment. But what has come out since is the British government, things like MI6, uh, in collusion with the UVF, the Ulster Volunteer Force, would be one of the um, Protestant um, uh, paramilitary groups like the IRA on the on the Catholic side. They would supply them with guns, etc. A lot of these, so for example, these these gunmen that were in the British Army, they would take guns from there, etc. They were used in these killings, um, and there was collusion between the British government that you know, well, we're not really going to go after the likes of the UVF because they're sort of doing a good job for us in trying to kill a lot of the IRA and Catholics and stuff like that. So we're not really going to push that. And some of the British soldiers that were involved in that have come out. They were whistleblowers. They, they brought this to light. Ken Livingston, British MP, he brought it to light a long time ago. Um, and the British soldiers that did blow the whistle on it were discredited. One was charged with murder. One was put into a mental institution and stuff like this. And again, it's this systemic you know, governmental cover-ups and abuse and murder that we're going to touch upon later on today. So it's, uh, I don't know, man, it's just, yeah, it's fucking so hard to understand these sort of things. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, we've got the peace process, we've got the Good Friday Agreement, these, you know, on both sides, you know, uh, perpetrators on both sides that were released some of which were due to serve life sentences, you know, but they're released under the Good Friday Agreement. Mm. Some of these murderers, as I said, on both sides, um, were released. Some of them were had been involved in this sort of thing. The UVF, also covered in the in the documentary, was the UVF sent a letter to the Irish government telling them that the British government were trying to recruit them to assassinate uh, some Irish politicians. Now, whether that's substantiated or not, I don't know, but um, it's a fascinating documentary. Had me had me quite riled and had me not falling asleep because I was too interested and stayed awake <laughs> watching it. <laughs> uh, but it's a fantastic, you, absolutely fantastic. And you worry about your sleeping pattern. I know, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if you watch Stop and Fucking Watching Documentaries about murder... <laughs> You might be able to sleep you a might little sleep bit better. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And last night I watched Teresa's documentary, which she was good enough to share with us. And, you know, it's... Also heavy. Harrowing, harrowing stuff, mm. yeah. So if anyone hasn't checked it out, Miami Show Band uh, Killings is on is on Netflix. It's a fantastic and fascinating documentary. If you have watched it, let us know. Let us know what it's all about. That's me smile. It's a, it's a MR. That, medium, that's medium a royal and a smile. Oh, sorry. That was, that was me royal, yeah. yeah. Well, smiling at, that that was a smile. Well, congratulations to the documentary makers. That's this true. is a fant- fantastic, um, fantastic documentary. We smile. Somewhat related to something I touched on last week. The Irish rugby team won against the All Blacks at the weekend. Correct. What a game. What a game of rugby. Absolutely fantastic. You probably didn't watch it, did you? Or were you in the did not. No. Oh, what a performance. Well, if you've no interest in rugby, the All Blacks are the kings of rugby and basically decimate any 
any team that comes before them. And Ireland put it up to them and have just played absolutely fantastic rugby. And, you know, it's rare. Oh, we've only beaten them less than a handful of times over the years. I think it's three times. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Mm. <laughs> One of the things that really made me smile <laughs> during it. Johnny Sexton, kicker, out half for, for Ireland, is kind of notorious for kind of getting on the wrong sides of ref. He's moaning all the time. Uh, <laughs> but what <laughs> what the what the refs might did pick up. So Johnny Sexton had been fouled off the ball. And this was obviously the All Blacks tactics. Just fucking take him out. You know, put him under pressure, stress him out. He's not going to play as well. And <laughs> so he was given the ref a load of shit. And one of the New Zealand one of the New Zealand players comes up to comes up to the ref, was picked up on the mic, on the ref's mic. He goes, Jeez, he's a fucking mouth, he can't any <laughs> <laughs> And Twitter within those couple of minutes just exploded. Like, it's like, oh, he just called him. Did you hear that? Someone put up on Twitter, oh, he quoted as, oh, he's a mouty cow, isn't he? I was like, he did, definitely did not say cow. No, he didn't say cow. <laughs> He called Johnny Sexton a mouty cunt to the ref. <laughs> so, well, uh, he's not wrong, I suppose. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he was. He was. Uh, it was just brilliant. <laughs> and the fact it was picked up so clearly. Um, and I am going to the game. I'm going to Ireland versus Argentina. Oh, you're Sunday. actually going. I'm going. Actually gone. Got the tickets. Got refunded for the Ireland versus Japan tickets that I didn't want. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the Ticketmaster ad on Google. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to going up to the Aviva, watching Ireland versus Argentina. Usually a good game. I'll be on. I'll be near the try line. Or I'll be near the I'll be near the sideline hoping Andy Farrell puts me in, so fingers crossed. He'll he'll do he'll do his back stretches beforehand, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, yeah. <laughs> so that's me smiles and royals. What about yourself? I have a royal. Um, yeah, right. yeah. I, I suppose it's kind of a a future royal. Okay. I am fearful we're going to be back in lockdown. I knew I knew you were going I knew it was going yeah. to be somewhat related to that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyone who hasn't seen it yet, as you're probably aware, I think we talked we talked about it on the podcast. Three or four weeks ago, nightclubs mm. were allowed to open in Ireland yeah. for the first time Irish in ni- 19 months. Yeah, Nightclubs have been closed for, and bars got their original opening times back, or closing times back. Mm. So they could stay open till half 12. Or with a late license, they could stay open till two, I think. So that was all, nightclubs were open for a week, kind of, you know, no holds bound, you know, check your COVID certs. Mm. And then other than that, you were pretty much free to do what you liked. After that first week, they said, right, well, now you have to have a ticket to get into a nightclub. You have to book it an hour in advance, which for a lot of people is a pain because a lot of people in this country go to a nightclub impulsively yeah. after being in the pub. They kind of just, they don't want a night <laughs> to night. Having to crack. Ah, sure, fuck yeah. it. Well, come on. We'll go, yeah. we'll go to Tigers. We'll go to nightclub. On, we got, we've, we've got two more hours here. Come on, we'll go. Yeah. That kind of took that out of the equation. Now we have to buy a ticket an hour beforehand. So it kind of made it a little bit more of a pain for nightclubs, but it wasn't the end of the world. Three weeks after that, which was, what, two days ago? Tuesday. Mm. Yeah, it would have been Tuesday. The government announced that nightclubs have to close at midnight, meaning that nightclubs in Ireland are essentially useless because nobody in Ireland is going to go to a nightclub before 12 o'clock mm-hmm. until 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. This was also shared with pubs and restaurants who were now told to close at 12 o'clock as well. COVID Four doesn't exist after, after midnight, just yeah. in case you didn't know. Yeah. It's it's the Cinderella of, of viruses. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. But the go- the government's reason for this is people won't be as drunk if they leave, if they go home earlier. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're going to pre-drink. People, yeah, people are just going to go out earlier. Yeah, instead of going at nine game. o'clock, they're going to go out at seven o'clock. It's yeah. not not a huge deal. Mm. But nightclubs now who have just spent probably a couple of months getting staff together, 
probably fixing their place up a little bit, doing a big clean because they've been closed for two months mm-hmm. or two nearly two years. Sorry, not two months. Yeah, yeah. Have basically been told to fuck off. Mm. This was also shared with cinemas and theaters who now have to you have to have a COVID cert to go in. I thought you did, but Odeon brought that in themselves. They had brought it in. Right. Well, that well, IMC yeah. didn't do that, so I didn't know yeah. if that was a. I didn't. Yeah. I don't think it was a enforced mm. rule. But this this comes after the T shock has said that we're doing well because of the high vaccination rate in the country. It's one of the highest in the world. Mm. Our vaccination rate is, and then they've just brought in new restrictions. And on top of that, when asked about could we be in lockdown in two weeks, the T shock basically said. We can't answer that yet. We have to see how mm. these measures play out. So rather than just say mm. no, which is what they have been saying for mm. for so long because everyone's vaccinated, it's kind of an, oh, I don't know now, maybe. Yeah. As as a bartender, we have kind of talked about in work that we are very fearful that Christmas is going to be spent in lockdown once again. Don't know what to do before Christmas. I think they'll do it for Christmas because it's going to be the busiest time of the year. They're going to do exactly what yeah, they did I last think year. I think, they'll, I think they'll lock it down. They'll lock it down straight after. Mm, or maybe to, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's what they do. There'll be war. There'll be war. And no one will follow it. Um so yeah. people will just be congregating in houses. Um yeah. so this, not... this isn't this isn't vaccinated versus actually anti vaccinated. You know, you know where we stand on that. Get yeah. fucking vaccinated. But what this is is and Teresa's gonna to touch on it, this is a systemic failure of the government. Yeah. The reason why we lock down is because we have X amount of number of ICU beds. We don't have more ACU beds because of the failings of the HSE, the health service executive, and the failings of anyone that's tried to get into a hospital, a doctor's, anything within this country. So the beds, it's, it's dependent on the number of ICU beds we have versus mm-hmm. number of cases, etc. I have a client that's a doctor who I spoke to recently, and every ICU bed in the hospital where she works is unvaccinated. Jesus. Yeah. Well, I believe when when the report when you know they dropped the official report mm. of ICU cases and all that, I think it's eighty five percent now mm. of patients in ICU beds are unvaccinated. Yeah. Look, it's not going. It's not going to change anyone's opinion. If you're not vaccinated by now, you're not going to be. No. And look, like I said, this isn't. And I think the rant, the, the royal that you have there, it's not at the unvaccinated. You know where we all stand on that. It's against the government, and a government that yes, we have high up uh, uptake. But it's not about that. It's about the ones that aren't and about the number of ICU beds that yeah. we have and the ability of hospitals to cope with it. And I suppose my, my concern is, so recently Austria have enforced a rule where if you're unvaccinated, you're essentially in lockdown, but only if mm-hmm. you're unvaccinated. So you can leave your house to go to work, do your grocery shop and that kind of stuff. But other than that, mm-hmm. you're in your home. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Austria the first country to enforce a rule like this for the unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. It's very likely that it's got like there's a good chance that is going to become a common theme in countries mm. as COVID doesn't seem to be going away because there's people not getting vaccinated. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose, yeah, my, my rile is more, mm. it's a concerned rile about what is going to come in the future. Yeah. Because yeah. as everyone kind of assumed that as we all got vaccinated, we'd be free of COVID. Yeah. There's, 10% that aren't getting vaccinated so covid is still Is it that lingering. high is it is it, is it 90% vaccinated? I, I I think I think it's 90%. Yeah, it could, wow. it could be in the very high I'm 80s. Yeah. It's either in the high 80s or the low 90s. Mm. But yeah, it's it's quite high. Yeah. That that's among adult 
population I must yeah, yeah, state. Yeah. I don't I don't know what it is among the, the youth. Yeah, I knew I'd figured that'd be a royal alright. Yeah. You got some kind of as, a royal. No, no, I've uh, yeah, I've got I've got a smile, I suppose. Yeah, give us a hit us. Yeah. You seem reluctant to give it up there, but come on. I know that you know that 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 was kind of a big royal sort of. Mm. But no, I yeah, yeah. I'm finally finding my feet now at my work placement, so it's Good. becoming a little bit less stressful. It's taking a bit of pressure off me now. Mm. Still don't have a lot of time, but I'm not under as much I was stress. Just to say, yeah, you better you better address that. I was, oh, so you know, if you're under less stress, yeah. you have to do the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, so my issue is kind of, as we talked about last week, I was under a lot of stress, but I also had no time mm. to kind of work on the stress. I still mm. don't have a lot of time, but I am under a lot less stress just as I kind of find my feet a little bit more. Mm. So I suppose that that's my smile. Not as overwhelmed this week as I was over the last, I suppose, four weeks. It's been coming up and probably near closer to five now. Mm. Yeah. What lays ahead for you to, for today? Um, I have to work later. So. <laughs> Working later. Yeah. I'm off I've to got... the cinema later, so I'm presenting my COVID pass. A uh, new Ghostbusters movie. Oh, yeah. yeah Not all that excited yeah. forever. Nah, me neither. But I have the Odeon. I pay for the Limitless. Yeah, so and, going to the cinema uh, isn't really a big thing for you. No, and I think it was because of my card uh, getting hacked there before. I got an email yesterday of going, oh, you need to update your payment. I was like, oh, shit, oh, yeah. I was like, hang on a fuck, I mean, I'm paying for this. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'd, I'd, been, I'd been recently, but I haven't been in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so I haven't been recently, so I was like, oh, I better make use of this since I'm paying for it. So I was like, Ghostbusters, meh, we'll see. I didn't. Mm. I didn't watch the women's one. I didn't watch the reboot or whatever. No, whatever I'm kind of glad. That, that got very bad reviews. Oh, seriously bad reviews. Yeah. But I think a few of the original cast turn up in this one. So, um, and we'll see. I'll let you know next week. Yeah, could be a smile. Could be a royal. Could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see that pile of shit. <laughs> yeah. You know. You know how much Alan loves watching stuff and then complaining I, about. Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think I think it's time we'll um, we'll throw over to our interview with Teresa. So this week on the Straight Talking Mental Health podcast, we are talking to Teresa Levina, director, producer, filmmaker, and I've watched the documentary and I've read the credits, and there's basically nothing she hasn't seemed to have had a hand in in the making of her documentary, Untold Secrets. We probably need to give a little bit of a trigger warning on this. It is a, a very touching subject, and it is something we have touched on in the past. So. If it is something that does trigger people, please do come back to it, take a break, but do come back to it because Teresa has been involved in a, uh, well, we know, we're talking about the tune babies, we're talking about the survivors, and we're talking about Teresa's documentary around that, so I don't need to say any more thing around it because you know what you're going to get when you're hearing a story like this, so if it does bring up something for you, just take a step away, but come back to it because... Teresa has a wonderful story to tell and she has given a voice to these to these survivors. And with all of that being said, Teresa, how are you this morning? Hi, Alan. Good. Thanks for inviting me over Good. here. Before we get started in any sort of earnestness, Teresa, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? That's not an Irish accent. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm from the north of Spain. I'm a Basque. I've been here for the last 24 years. And uh, yeah, just... Pretty easy, as it says. You know, I came over. Yeah. I I started kind of trying to get an acting career on the go, but due to my accent, I couldn't. So I got involved more into kind of production, directing at the time, theater. Then I moved into mm. television a little bit. Then I just kind of started my own um, 
a production company. And that, that's basically it, you know, in a nutshell. Mm. What brought you to Ireland of all places? Uh, my dad's dead, actually. Uh, okay. I, I used to come over to Ireland bringing Spanish students in the summers uh, with a friend, mm. you know, we had that going. You bringing guns to the IRA no, by no, any chance, Teresa, were you? All the Basque separatists. We have a long history with, with that part of Spain yeah, and Ireland. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I didn't. You know, it could have been maybe an easier road than being a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely would have been made more money than being a filmmaker Definitely. in Ireland, that's for sure. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so... Uh, I used to come over the on the summers, you know, and then my dad passed, mm. so I decided to come over just to visit a few friends. And uh, while I was here, uh, the person who invited me was involved in the film industry at the time, um, Terry McMahon. And uh, mm. so I stayed with him and his uh, lovely partner, Lisa, you know, for, for about three weeks. And then they kind of helped me getting into Bulali, the acting school. Mm. And then I mm. met my husband, and that was it. Then it's history. I stayed. Mm. So you you popped up on my radar because as anyone who listens to the podcast knows a little yeah. bit of an acting background myself. We share a couple of common contacts uh, on the theatre front and the acting front. And a post was shared onto my Facebook timeline by, I believe, David Butler, our, oh. a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. Dave was our previous band manager. Can you, can you tell us a little bit of what popped up onto my Facebook feed, Teresa? What popped up? What did pop up? Yeah. I don't know what popped yeah, up. There was a, po- a, a post shared by you around this documentary that you had Oh, made. I posted so much. Probably something about the censorship <laughs> of the documentary when I got really pissed that's, off. Yeah. That's the yeah. one, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, what happened was I made the documentary. It took me, like, well, I mean, five years since I started, but really actively the last two and a half years, you know, uh, working on it and it premiered as the closing film in the film flat this year which was uh, the Galway the Galway Film Festival yeah. wasn't it so that was a, yeah. a great kind of you know launch platform mm. for the film and what mm. happened was the next day after the film was released uh, the Killeley family which is the family that are named uh, in the film as uh, as perpetrators of abuse uh, mm got in touch through a solicitor's letter saying basically like uh, if all the materials and promoting and all that was not removed, uh, they sued them. So the Galway Film Flat response to that was obviously they they got afraid and they removed the Q&As with the survivors, they removed my interview and they removed a lot of the tweeters and, you know, things that were going with the, with the movie. And so that was uh, pretty annoying, you know, because I was very happy the day of the premiere. The survivors were delighted, you know, they had a little bit of space in there. And then it was kind of all bang. The next day, it all crushed, you know. So by then, mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, some other festivals had contacted me through the FLA, like, you know, because when you premiere on the FLA, like some other festivals approach you. So yeah, I had a few more screenings, like, you know, with Derry and... Uh, Docs Ireland, and you know, then the Irish Film wow. Institute uh, International, so the IFI International got in touch and, mm. and uh, just gave me some more screenings internationally. And like every single festival then got a letter, the same letter, 
if then, well, the letter changed a bit. It was like, if you show this movie, uh, we will sue you because it's defamatory, hasn't been protected, mm-hmm. it's uh, blah, blah. And like a horrible letter, you know, uh, completely insulting my work, uh, just questioning Anne's testimony. And at no moment, uh, kind of giving any time to, to, to the survivors, like, you know, but all in their side. So my, my question was, if you're sending a letter that you clearly state that something is defamatory, but at the same time, you're not sending, why is defamatory? <laughs> like, where is your proof mm-hmm. that it is defamatory? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. just bullshit. But I, the issue there, Teresa, mm-hmm. is defamatory cases in Ireland are notoriously easy to win mm-hmm. from the side of people who are saying they're being defamed. Mm-hmm. It's it's simply a case of finding whoever's being accused of just saying something wrong, even if it's the smallest thing in the world, like getting an age wrong, yeah. you can win a, a defamation case in Ireland. It's it's ridiculously yeah. easy. Yeah. The thing is, like, they say, like, I mean, what's defamatory is Anne's story. <laughs> it's like that particular mm-hmm. thing. Also that my documentary, yeah, is defamatory. But the thing is, I haven't got any letters. I wish I would have got a letter. Because the problem is, if I want to sue them for harassment, yeah, Mm. I have to go to the high court. And that's going to cost 100 Mm. grand that I don't have. Mm. Why why have you not been contacted, Teresa? Because there's no They know that is no defamation. The family knew what happened. And they have no case at all. You know, and that's why. So okay. the easiest way to stop the documentary is to send letters to the festivals so the festivals get afraid and they don't promote the movie so nobody knows about mm. the movie. So they, so they panic and they're like yeah. straight away going, oh, geez, we, we don't want to get involved with this. Yeah. You know, It's going to be easier to pull it and we'll just replace it with something Yeah, else. but I mean, instead of doing that, they went like kind of a middle way. Was, no, I'm not pulling from that. I'm giving you the space, but I'm not promoting it. You see? Because okay. this, movie, right. this movie should have been promoted left, right, and center. Now, I know mm. that uh, Kayleen Hogan, who is the person who wrote the article in the Irish Examiner, uh, which made front page, she didn't get a letter either. But the Irish Examiner got a personal letter this time, not a, a solicitor's letter, a personal letter from the family. Mm. And then mm. any other paper refused to print anything, aside from a Irish Central. And it's only the last, I mean, once I got my my clear legal advice from the IFI, uh, thankfully, because that was a, a very good thing, then I was able to send mm-hmm. uh, my film with the letter and with the warning that they may receive a letter. I sent a copy of the previous letters and, yeah, just the legal advice. And then the festivals started, like, you know, to be a bit more confident, especially when I moved internationally, mm. then the festivals got very proactive. Like, you know, like say the film festival in London now, they've been absolutely fantastic. Ottawa's film festival has been brilliant. Also held uh, radio interviews, lots of press. Seminthi uh, in Spain, again, like amazing, uh, like response to it. Got a nomination there for best documentary. I didn't win, but just the domination, the nomination is, yeah. is fab. That's um, a big thing. Yeah. Funny enough, yesterday I got a call from a distribution company from America, a sales representative, and she took my movie. So uh, wow, see what happens with that, you know, because America mm. is different. And, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, the movie sees mm. the light of the day over there. Yeah. 
Yeah. What what prompted you to to tell this story, Teresa? You know, as what was it like for you actually when you, when you came across this? You, you're Spanish. You moved to Ireland. Mm. We've sort of known about the history of these things. It's only in recent years that we hear about things like the tomb babies home. But I suppose from an outside perspective, and many of our listeners are outside of Ireland, uh, could you maybe give the little bit of background that you have in the film of? what exactly the tomb modern baby's home was yeah well, well i mean i tell you a little bit of the story i mean what happened was the mm. film came about because i was making another film called still and it was about a uh, stillbirth and you know neonatal death in, wow. in, mm. in ireland and i came across this lady bernie who told me her story and uh, she was a single mom at the time when she was pregnant and her baby died Two days after she had it, she had her in a Sligo hospital. This was in the in the maternity hospital. She wasn't married, uh, but she did have a partner, you know. And what happened to Bernie was like uh, she was brutalized because she was a single mom, and her treatment was nothing but torturous, I could say. Mm. By first allowing her baby to die when she had all triggered like basically an allergic reaction to to whatever they gave her as a painkiller but not only mm. that once the baby died Aslin was the name of the baby she was put in a ward with all the mothers that had their babies now mm. she said it was horrible like she was she used to close the curtain so at least she couldn't see but she could still hear you know Course, baby, yeah. and, and that was horrendous, you know. And then, so mm. basically, <clears throat> she was given as a keepsake the pictures of the autopsy of her baby. Postmortem picture of the autopsy. Well, like, I mean, the baby's not cut up or anything, but it's yeah. Yeah. basically, it's black and blue. And she decided mm. to, to, to share that picture with me. But I found it shocking, you know. But those pictures were given to her as a punishment so she wouldn't get pregnant again. And that made me question why the treatment of women that are out of uh, wedlock, you know, is, is different mm. to other mm. women. And then I kind of bring, brought me back to my own life because I got married quite young, you know, and people, oh, are you pregnant? And are you pregnant? And it's a question that we wouldn't have in Spain. No, you get married because you get married. Like, I mean, that type of mm. question would have happened in the 60s or I don't know, maybe the 40s. Mm. Not, certainly not in the year in the in the in the late nineties, you know. I, mm-hmm. Then yeah, I of course found out why. Like you know, uh, because if you were pregnant, you either had to get married or you end up in in an institution. Mm. Not all the time. Just but- what you said there, Teresa, about how you think, and that's a question from the sixties. Mm. The last time we spoke on a topic similar to this, when we spoke to Amory. Mm. Alan actually mentioned how shocked he was when he put thought into it and realized how recently this sort of incident was happening and how he compared it to kind of the age that his brother was born. When, when was Nikki born again? 84. Yeah. We, and we had, we had Amory on who told her story being a birth mother and had, had a very similar experience in hospital. She was screaming, giving birth. The, the matron came along, slapped her on the behind, told her to stop. She got herself into this position. She got herself out. She was forced to give the baby up for adoption. Yeah. Baby was taken away straight away, was put into the ward with other uh, with mothers who had just given birth, who had their babies, um, that's that's the that's the episode Cameron is making relation to there yeah. for anyone that hasn't heard our, our episode on birth mothers. Yeah, it's 
it's terrible, like the, the treatment. So anyway, so that then uh, let me, I was in college and then the story of the baby, the two babies broke out. And I mean, I knew anyway that something similar happened in Spain. And uh, one of my friends in Spain, her brother, was one of the babies affected. In Spain, it happened differently. It happened to any person that went to a hospital, basically, uh, the religious orders uh, would tell you that your baby had died and they would have babies frozen in a fridge and they will show you that baby. So when they take your baby to wash, they will swap the baby for one of these dead babies. They'll tell you your baby have died and then they would have sold your baby by then to a couple like you know. what? So yeah, so that, that was pretty fresh on me because, you know, I thought it was horrible. Um, and uh, <sighs> So then when all this happened, I thought, yeah, okay, for my last, for my end of the year college, I'm going to make a short on this. And I contacted Catherine Corlins. And then, uh, yeah, she agreed to, to to an interview and she actually put me in touch with some of the survivors. And while talking to the survivors, uh, Anne Silk uh, just happened to be one of them. PJ Hubbard mm. brought Anne Silk. And that's how I got to... To meet her so mm. i was shocked when mm. when she was telling me her story i mean the full story is not in the documentary so, obviously but her story is so shocking yeah. that i just so uh, the, the tomb the, the tomb ba- the tomb home was you know mother and baby's home so for unwed unwed yeah. mothers that were pregnant were sent in there a scandal. Uh, I'm sort of reluctant to, to to tell the background on it, Teresa, because because you've made the film. On yeah, it, well, I mean, you know, the, perhaps you you could you could give the better background. Well, it's the background. It's just not only the two. I'm home. The documentary kind of covers mm. all institutions. Covers yeah. also orphanages. Mm. You know, or uh, mm. it's it's just that basically. It's that you know. It's, it, these places were places were jails basically for women. Mm. That the only thing they had done was getting pregnant, sometimes raped. Uh, mm. and where they were dumped to have their babies in a very horrendous way. And then take, their babies would be taken if they didn't have the money to buy them back, which happened in, yeah. in most of the situations. And those babies will be used as slaves a lot of the time in farms where they would have had the money to pay for service. Or, mm. you know, I mean, some of them, I guess, they got lucky, you know, and they, they had you know, a better experience, which is also there. That mm. doesn't take away mm. from the horrendous treatment of these women in, in the well while they were in the institution. Mm. Like, you know. So so the women were working in there. Yeah, it was like a so workhouse, were basically. Second yeah, work workhouse, yeah. second class citizens there yeah, were subhumans. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're in there. They give birth. Yeah. If the and we can we'll get into that in another minute. If the baby lives long enough, yeah. the children then are sort of um sold out to labor. Yeah, exactly. And they're they're essentially slave labor. They may they may be fostered out into a family they where sold to labor uh, to labor because I mean actually the government paid those families also. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's even the government well, is paying well, for free labor for someone that could actually pay an adult to to be a I mean, to have service at home, basically, you know, I mean, if you want someone mm, yeah. like, I mean, in the case of Anne Silk, she was only nine years of age when she was fostered to, to the Killeley family, a family that obviously had the means and the money to pay for service. 
and they abused her. They mm -hmm. abused her physically, sexually, and they made her work as a slave from the age of nine until the age of 15, when they thought that she was pregnant and she was put in a laundry. And obviously she was pregnant because she was being raped constantly by one of the brothers. Yeah, yeah. This was a family that were politicians, they were a political family uh, within, within the documentary. The, the thing that kind of struck me, Teresa, around the documentary was that was a small part yeah. of the documentary. Yeah. You know, your, your film really focused on the institutional abuse, yeah. the, the failings of the government. Um, this was a bon secure nuns. Yeah. It was a Catholic mother and baby home. These women were brought in, they were treated like dirt. Their children were treated like dirt. Um, this real, the Chum babies really came to the fore when it was discovered that these babies that didn't survive mm. were dumped in a septic tank. Right. A septic tank, and it was almost 800 babies. It was 796 mm. babies. They weren't buried. They, the the nuns were given i think it was five pound was a five pound per child per burial yeah, that's right yeah and and unmarked graves nothing there thrown into a septic tank yeah these babies yeah you're talking about human beings like just being disposed human beings i don't know i don't know spiders i don't know <laughs> like you wouldn't even bury a dog that way no i mean and if i'm if i'm not mistaken this wasn't found about the burials until close to 50 years later when they started building a council estate near the location of the original tomb mm. home, the one where the 800 babies were buried, and two young lads mm. stumbled upon bones. And when they went to tell people, there was a kind, there was a big thing about it, and it was just assumed that well, it was from the famine. Yeah, it's, it is and it isn't, because... Uh... I, well, not I, I mean, a lot of th people think like the reason why that patch of green is there is just because the, develop the developers already knew what was there when they started mm. excavating, because it makes no sense to have that patch of green in that little tiny mm. corner where the septic tank is, mm. Mm. if they would have known nothing about it, you see. So, because mm. you have houses all around, it's just that patch of green like you know now they said that there's like, it's a playground there's a playground there now isn't it also, I mean, yeah there's a playground it's like I, the thing yeah. is like they built the playground where the cemetery was so mm. that's where the playground is but then beside mm. it is this patch of green with a little car park and in that patch of green is where the tank is one of the tanks because uh, they're talking that there's other two tanks but this is one of the tanks and that's the tank that's supposed to have the bones. And, like, yeah, nothing is is built on top of that, if you know what I mean. So mm. and there's houses, mm. like I said, you have then a wall and more houses and more houses around and then the whole estate. So it makes no sense, you know. And, so they built around this patch of yeah, land. Yeah, basically. Which leads people to believe... They knew there was something there, which is why well, no one went near that area. Yeah, when I was interviewing Donna Kilali, and that part of the interview is not there, uh, Donna said like he thought that they already knew that there were bones there, like the developers, the initial developers, the people that built that estate. Yeah, so what, 
what I've read from it is that when those young lads told yeah. people that there were, that they found bones there, whoever was in charge of the council on the state basically labelled it as a famine grave. Yeah. And they got a priest in to bless the grave. And there are people that assumed that that was their way of hiding yeah. what was going on. So rather than saying, oh, this is the mass grave of True, yeah. a lot of babies, this, this, mm-hmm. is, this is back from the family. Yeah, and that's when mm-hmm. Catherine Corley... And people think that that's their way of hiding it. Yeah, and that's when Catherine Corley kind of uh, started her research. Mm. And it started... Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then they realised, like, no, they weren't bones from the family. They were actually yeah. human bones. Bear in mind for listeners, th- this was 50 years after this happened. Yeah. So this went 50 years of nothing. And I think it was another 40 years after that before it started getting media attention. Yeah. When the Irish Examiner, I think, were the, I believe, were the first to break it and kind of state how many bodies there were. And it was the Sunday. Maybe there's something else going on there. I think that was Alison, Alison O'Reilly in the Sunday Mail was the person who broke Oh, that, that's right. Yeah, the, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Alison, yeah. Yeah, Alison mm-hmm. was the person, yeah. And so that... So I think that was 2014. That was nearly 100 years later when it finally got media attention. Yeah, well, I mean, the last the last of the homes closed in 1989. Mm. So, but yeah, the, the, the home in Tuam closed, I think it was 19... What was it? 1958? No, I didn't know. 68 or 60-something. I can't remember now off the top of my head. I can't think of the date. 1961 is the year it closed, okay, it closed. and it started in 1925. Yeah, and that's those recordings. So that's 800 yeah. babies in, in that time. Yeah. And the only testimony. Even, not even 40 years. Yeah, and the only testimony that is that survived uh, the home, because there's only one picture or two pictures of the home, that's all it is, there's not even pictures, is the testimony of uh, Julia Deviney that talked to, to this journalist, you know, uh, Mm. Uh, this was back in the 80s trees yeah, this is the picture featured yeah. in the documentary isn't yeah it? so julia would have been institutionalized she was one of the first batch of babies born in that home and she stayed there forever like she just kind of then worked there and so she basically stayed there until the until the home was knocked down and the when ravi milan interviewed her like you know that was the first and only testimony recorded testimony of someone who was there for the entire time that the house was uh, running, mm. which I think is a fabulous contribution, you know. Yeah, a, a lot of uh, you touch on it in in the documentary. Mm. Uh, you were you were gracious enough to, to to send a link to the documentary that that I watched last mm. night, Treason. If people have listened to the podcast, there's one time I've cried on the I've cried on the podcast, and that was in relation to these babies and uh, the inability of my brain to comprehend how this is how as you say human beings human babies i mean what comes more innocent than a baby and and they're they're thrown into this thing but a lot of this is a lot of deaths due to malnutrition yeah you know they weren't fed they were kind of they weren't looked after there's a piece in the documentary where one of the survivors describes you know a room of uh, it may have been the interview you can correct me Teresa of 41 year olds yeah. just left in a room crying yeah. and that's Julia's uh, testimony were... that's the reality that's what Julia that's, that was yeah. Julia's job yeah and I, mean, I can feel yeah can the feel only it. thing they I did was them. basically yeah. changing their nappies and, and fit them yeah. fit them to a point because uh, as PJ also says in the documentary at some mm. point they threw the bottles off them 
at them and whoever. I mean, I don't think they did that with, with newborn babies, but once they were able to hold their own bottle, mm. uh, they just put the bottles and whoever took more or less, you know, and then you could have a baby yeah. having two bottles and one not having anything because they weren't supervised. Yeah, a lot of this happened in the orphanages yeah. in Romania under Ceausescu. And they couldn't figure out how these babies were dying. And they brought in psychologists and stuff like that. And they had kind of gone in and said, well, what are you doing with them? Well, we feed them, we change them. You know, we, we do everything to keep them alive. But they were never held. Yeah. They were never nurtured. They were never looked after. And they were dying. And when they said, look, you need to pick these kids up. You need to feed them. You need to, they need to crave human contact. Yeah, also like we're and mammals. We need, like, we need touch. Like we are mammals. Absolutely. absolutely. Very yeah. important part yeah. of our developments, you know. Mm. And they've actually done they've done experiments around attachment with uh, monkeys there's a famous experiment uh, it's, uh, they might even be old enough to be in black and white mm. can't remember I may be misremembering it but what they did was they took monkeys they took primates I can't remember which, which sort uh, they built a wire mesh monkey with a bottle at the place where the nipple would mm-hmm. be where the breast would be and they built a wire mesh one with uh, four wrapped around it the baby monkeys would go to the one with fur. So basically yeah. they sought comfort yeah, over food. Yeah, of course, yeah. And as I say, we're mammals, we're primates, we're the, we're the yeah, same. You know, and these, these kids dying unnecessarily mm. due to neglect, due, due yeah. to malnutrition. Totally. And like, I mean, you, I mean, and then it's like, as, as they say, like, I mean, it's nothing, I mean, it's like this stays with you. And from that, you know, you pass it on to your own kids. Because like, say... For instance, like with with Anne and, and other survivors, mm-hmm. like they didn't know how to love because they weren't loved. They, mm-hmm. they haven't learned mm-hmm. I mean, because you have yeah. to learn. Yeah. It's, it's, you, it's not something that is uh, natural born to you. You natural born. You have to learn. You know. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you're taken away from society for for that length of time, mm-hmm. and your interaction with other, like say, kids or people is so limited, you know, is. Yeah, I think mm. it's really difficult to overcome that, yeah. you know. And I think I think I probably correct a little bit on that, Patrice, mm. uh, in terms of it, it's not learned, it's innate. Mm. We are biologically driven toward our caregivers mm. to seek comfort, and they to us, yeah. you know, crying is a, pro- a proximity promoting behavior. Yeah. You know, it's distressing to hear a child cry yeah, yeah. because that's our instinct to go and comfort, yeah. and the child cries to be mm. comforted. So I disagree with you a little bit yeah. on that because what Anne and the other survivors would have learned is the learned experience of there's no point looking for fucking comfort. Yeah, yeah. It is not going to come. Yeah. And this is how an avoidant attachment style, we, yeah. we touched on this before yeah, in, on the podcast in terms of generational trauma. Mm-hmm. We had Mark Willin on one of our previous episodes on uh, who wrote the book on on this this literally affects our dna this epigenetically this literally affects us things that have happened to our grandparents things that have happened to our parents mm-hmm. this this affects us on a genetic level yeah. due to the experiences they have yeah. so Anne and the other survivors are in a home where you're not comforted you grow up in an avoidant attachment style where there's no point seeking comfort it is not going to yeah, come yeah yeah and then there's an 80 yeah. percent correlation yeah there's an 80 percent correlation between the attachment style of the parent and the attachment style of the mm-hmm. child you interview some of Anne's children yeah. in the documentary, and they touch a little bit on this. Yeah, of yeah. She sort of she wasn't able. She wasn't able to give it to them. She could feed them. She could clothe them. She could send them to school. That was her way of showing yeah. love because that's all she had to give. Yeah. 
And then also, like, I mean, like relationships, uh, like, say, Alice, Alice and Anne only started a few months before and, and passed. So, because mm. she had eight kids, but, I mean, uh, she, she didn't have a good relationship with, only with two of her kids, she actually had a good relationship, you know. Mm. Um, and that, that, again, is something that's been taken away from yeah. from the people who are in these homes. They've, they've taken that ability to have healthy nurturing Alan's, relationships yeah, yeah yeah that it affects the generation oh totally alan alan you can probably touch a bit more on this will i i don't really want to call it an inability but that's i suppose that is what i'll use an, an inability to love and nurture because mm-hmm. that's something Anne never experienced as she was growing up is that going to be passed down onto her kids or is it likely that they're going to have a hard time i suppose showing love and nourishment for their own kids well this this is this is where awareness is so important um so when we're unaware of something like this you know you can grow up and not just speaking on hand children but for for any parents that or for any adult that has grown up with difficult childhoods that you know they may have the awareness to go well there's no fucking way mm. i'm going to treat my children yeah. like that because i know what it's like to grow up with that yeah. when you don't know and you just think well sure this is how you raise kids yeah. this is what you do you you know you, you look after their basic needs yeah. you know you you feed them you send them to school you you know you put a roof over their head that's that, that that's where it ends because that's all you know yeah. but when you have the experience that you know well actually i'm not going to perpetrate that you can change your attachment style you know you do need someone that is securely attached to maybe perhaps teach you yeah. and you can absorb their way of being of being tactile of you know and these these are people that you know human touch can be extremely uncomfortable yeah. and they're, they're, they're deprived of that you know mm. and if they're if the human touch they've experienced is being hit mm. you know it's you know we talk about ptsd and we think of soldiers and war zones and stuff like this but you know for someone that's been physically abused by another human yeah. raising a hand to give someone a high five yeah can be a, a traumatic trigger oh mm. wow being in contact being intimate being touched by another yeah. person can be extremely traumatizing yeah. so this 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 impact didn't end when those, whether it was the mothers or the children, left the mm. homes. This is carrying on. Yeah. This we're, there's there's people living with this today, and future generations mm. that will be living with this if if nothing is if nothing yeah. is done to to redress this. Yeah, and I think it's very important also uh, in terms of the documentary as part of an a piece of Irish history is like to to name the perpetrators. It's okay to name the mm. perpetrators. Of course, it's needed. Like you don't have to protect just because they were A or B or C. It's it's very very important because if you don't name the perpetrators, things will never happen. I mean, never change. You know, because you have generation after generation after generation of protecting mm-hmm. these guys. Like you know, and as I said, like I mean, the documentary is not intended uh, to go against the the alive members of the Kilali family at all. Like I I just. It's not about that. And they took it like that. And that's sad. Because if, like say, if my dad was a, a child abuser, I'll be, it'll, it'll be horrible to find out. But at the same time, I wouldn't try and brush it under the carpet. Because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, that, well, I mean, I wouldn't do that. Like, you know, and I think that's what happened to them. That uh, they, they knew anyway. It's not like they found out through me. That's, like, they knew. But I mean, like, then suddenly they were in the situation like, oh, this is going to come out. People are going to find out. 
And instead of them coming out, which I, I this is what I asked to do, to come out and say, look, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't born when this happened. You know, my dad was a loving father to me. I'm very sorry. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it, because you can only talk about the experience that you have. I wasn't looking mm-hmm. for them to criticize or to judge anyone, but just to simply tell the truth and their experience, but no, they, to try and censor this, that is where I have a problem. Because then you're talking, you're mm-hmm. talking dictatorship, and that's serious. Because when you try to uh, not allow society to listen to some things mm-hmm. that are related mm-hmm. to the government, mm-hmm. to me, that is a little bit kind of on the dictatorship. And, kind of, and I do have a problem with that. Within that, though, you, you, you're speaking of of one one family, yeah. um, but the children within these homes have also gone up against the Irish government. Yeah, yeah. you know they've been blocked yeah. from their birth cert. Yeah, they've been blocked totally. from probably knowing their real names. Paperwork has been given back. That's been redacted. Yeah. Other things have been, you know, this this. This is against state. Yeah, this like you get, you state. get like say people like PJ. I met up PJ yesterday for coffee because I met up PJ for coffee a couple of times. You know, a month or three times a month mm-hmm. in the morning we have a like, PJ and Walter and myself sit down, have a copa, and he told me like he got new papers from uh, from Tusla, and these papers mm-hmm. now uh, is a new paper like in in different writing, completely different to the old set of papers. Like saying that, oh yeah, the family gave him like a after school, whatever, learning. And it's bullshit. He never went to any of these things. And this is being produced mm. now, like, you know. And it's just so much. I mean, and it gets complicated because it's like there's so much that is just lie, lies, you know, that is very yeah, difficult yeah. now to see, okay, what is real, what is not, what, you know, what documentation is actually the one are you gonna fool me for the rest of my life? Are you gonna give me? A, it's just mm. crazy. I don't know. Teresa, just just to touch on what you said about naming the perpetrators, mm. I think it's the main reason why your documentary is so important mm. because it names the perpetrators. The media now is so powerful for raising awareness on issues like this, but that awareness can only be raised if the full story is told. Yeah. And that is what your documentary aims to do by naming those involved. Yeah. And but I mean the government the government need to come out on this and you know on, on an institutional basis, on a state basis and go, you know what, well, we fucked up, yeah. you know. We're going to we're going to do we're going to absolutely we're not gonna say we're going to do, we are going to do absolutely everything to give these people what they deserve, to give you know, it doesn't even need to be well, it needs to be as well monetary compensation, but we need to give them their their history yeah, absolutely. you know who you are where you came from what's your fucking actual yeah, name yeah exactly you, you know what were you called how how they can deny this to people yeah. like that that's unfathomable yes that this happened this happened there and that's that's absolutely horrendous in itself yeah. but that's happened we can't do anything about that bit but what we can do is we can try and do something about this and to hear yeah, it now and not block exactly. it and not give false fucking Tusler reports exactly. to say Tusler for people around the world yeah. is so, so the child protection agency within Ireland yeah it's it's not coming out with redacted information. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I completely agree. It's crazy. It's just, I mean, mm. and it, it, it's it's a never ending story, and it's so delayed, and it's delayed with no cause. I mean, because there, there's no mm. excuse for being delayed, and 
I mean, for these guys that have been like uh, fighting for how many years now, trying to to get, it's like I mean, they're getting old. I mean, they're gonna die because, yeah. and that's it. And yeah. they will, a lot of them will die even before the redress is given to them. You know, mm-hmm. because they mm-hmm. haven't mentioned anything about people that have passed now and passed in February. That means like a part of history yeah. is just vanished. She didn't exist. That's it. She was due. She was due in court a couple of weeks yeah. later before she died. Before around he the, died. Before he yeah, sorry, that's right. Before he died. Yeah, that yeah, was in twenty eighteen. So. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Hmm. the the compensation the government are offering, I believe it's it's totaled at eight hundred million, accumulative. But it only, you only qualify for this money if you spent more than six months in the home in one of the homes. But they don't say anything about. So if if you spend if you spend five months twenty nine days. Yeah, you you don't, you don't get anything get for for what you went through. And they, Your base is told to fuck off. Yeah, and they don't say anything about that of either. So yeah, the, the point of what I was saying there is that even as they come up with these solutions for how they're going to compensate those who went yeah. through all this trauma, they won't even give it to everybody. Yeah, they're yeah. they're making a list of criteria that people have to meet yeah. if they want to be compensated for the trauma they went through. Yeah. They won't just give the money to everybody. Like, oh no, you've spent a certain yeah. amount of time in these homes. Yeah. Because otherwise you're not really traumatized, is what they're saying. And and if you really put everything into perspective and just, you're going to have to go in there with a solicitor, with all your paperwork that has to be reviewed mm. and re-reviewed and re-reviewed, and then they'll come with an answer and then you'll, you'll be missing one paper and then you have to come back. And that's, you know, and that's a way of saving mm. hundreds and thousands of euros by not giving the people the money mm. because they'll be dead by then. Seriously. Mm. And like, like stress even, even for those of us that are just listening yeah. to the stories here are, are traumatized by how horrifying it yeah. is and the government mm. are coming out and saying okay well you only spent five months there how could you possibly be traumatized yeah, yeah. when there is people like mm. us who have just listened yeah and are horrified but we hear we can't even imagine what people have went through in those homes mm. because it's probably not all revealed no mm. it's not like i mean and you know i mean i have this other lady and Fitzgerald is her name and she was raped by three men in the Finnish in the Finnish park. She was left there naked, you know. So someone took her, gave her a coat, brought her to the police station. The police station they didn't take report or anything. They just gave her a cell so she could sleep in there. And then off she went in the morning, like you know. That she told me I had to to rob clothes because I didn't even have clothes or money, nothing. Like she was naked. Like imagine they leave you naked with a coat in Dublin. You know, mm-hmm. and then she was pregnant of that rape. Who was she? She hasn't have a clue. One of the three of them. So then she gets mm-hmm. put into that institution, you know, and like she remembers these stories and not everything is in the documentary, but like women literally bleeding to death after giving birth and someone beating her because she didn't know how to put a pad on properly. That is, you know, and you're talking about someone, like Anne told me, like that girl was brought to then to a hospital. She was in charge to clean up the mattress. She was horrified. She was only a kid herself. You know, imagine having to clean up that mess. And at the same time, like witnessing the abuse of someone being hit because you're, you're messing the bed when you're having a hemorrhage. Mm. 
I mean, like these people were psychopaths, and I mean it. Like, I mean, it comes like, mm. the lack of empathy. I mean, is is I mean, you're the psychologist, mm. but to me, it's borderline psychopathic. Well, actually, what was going through my mind there is there's a quote from Gandhi, and uh, he says, "I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. They're nothing like your Christ." Yeah. You know, these these are nuns. Yeah. You know, mm. children of God, Jesus. Our loving Father, yeah. Christ the Redeemer, and, and this this is how they're treating women and children. And the sad thing. Sorry, I'll just um I'll just clarify what I said about the money just to make sure I get yeah. the full story down. So the cumulative amount is eight hundred million. That's for everybody that went through yeah. anything got to do with the with the mm. homes. Each each mother can get a maximum of one hundred twenty five thousand. Mm. Sixty five thousand is the cap for if you've spent longer than ten years there. Yeah. So it goes between however much and sixty five yeah. grand. That's if you don't work. If if you worked in the homes, yeah. you can get a further sixty thousand if you worked for an extra ten years. Mm. But it caps at one hundred and twenty five thousand. Yeah. Also, how many people are alive? Uh, how much is the pension mm. of any politician nowadays? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just the whole thing is. This this is this is going to sound indelicate, but I'm going to for anyone that watches it. I'm just going to put it in layperson's terms for the, a lot of the survivors you introduced you get a sense that there's just something not right you know there's a lot there seems to be a lot of issues there deep issues that have affected them throughout their life as a result of as a result of this these were children sent to school if they were sent to school they were sent to local schools they were seated differently they were treated differently they were called bastards the other kids weren't allowed to play with them you know this 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 carries throughout your life you know this lack of comfort as a child this institutional bullying at best (laughs) outside of institutional abuse but institutional bullying of being dirty children and um all of this that that carries through life and you know, you, you, it's very hard to come out of situations like that. And then you have society. A hundred percent, you know. Society also, Alan, because when these kids... Yeah. Uh, because PJ, part of his story, his family were loving to him. He was treated very well, like, you know. The mm, problem was mm. society. Uh, yeah. if he, like, when he was in his teen years, and he'll go to a dance, and he'll meet a girl, and he'll be dancing with her, and then she'll find out that he came from the home. That was it, you know. And they yeah. were called, yeah. he was called a queer. He was made even like go in his boom one time, just being bullied. Mm. Like, uh, he told me like the amount of nights that he's run out of these places and just hide in his, his, in his, in his home, like, you know, in his own house. So his parents wouldn't find out that he, he was harassed. So he didn't want to worry them. So he would wait outside in the street until it was time to come home. And then he'll come home, you know. It's just horrible. Like mm. it is horrible. Mm. And is and then for women, a lot of the women, like you know, they would marry then alcoholics, abusers, because just for the sake of not being on their own, just to be protected somehow. Yeah. So again, more dysfunctionality yeah. added to their lives, more mm. suffering. Mm. Well, some of them have become alcoholics themselves. They have serious mental problems. And mental of course, of course. So that's that's the sort of trauma. That's the impact yeah, of trauma. Exactly. So it's just yeah. so much hassle. But society has yeah. a lot to be blamed for, you know, because they mm. they 
and the per- the perpetual trauma yeah. that you touched on in the in the in the documentary as well, Teresa. That you know, young girls born into yeah. this, as you said, they go out into the world, they put up with you know mistreated. They're bound of no no idea of what boundaries yeah. are. They're put into compromised positions. They're they're raped. They're sexually abused. Yeah. They're unmarried mothers. Where do they go? Yeah. They go fucking back yeah, in exactly. as not the child this time, but the mother with yeah, the child this time. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of them institutionalized in, in mental homes also and put there by, yes. by their own you, families, you by their own families and never to get out mm. like a life sentence. I mean, the amount of mm. suicide that has, you know, like that has been triggered because of this. It's crazy. So the amount of loss, kids, women, men also, you know, I mean, mm. like, it's just savage. It's just like a genocide, and it is, you know, and it's very hard to yeah. say that, but it is what it was. Like, it was mm. an absolute mm. disgrace to, to treat people that mm. way. But the worst thing is, like, nowadays, in a way, they're still treated the same way, like, you know. And, like... Yeah, it's just a state haven't come true yeah, to look like after Like, PJ them. told me, because it's PJ, because I talk to PJ a lot, like, he tells me, like, all the gossip and all the stories, like, you know, but he, he told me that... Uh, even like now, like, you know, he went to the gym there. He goes for a swim sometimes. And a woman in there also like, I mean, and why, why are you still talking about this? You should shut up and get on with your life. And he's like, man, and he goes like, I mean, what type of a life did you have? Okay. So because Mm, I had mm. this other life. So it's it's very Mm. easy for people to say, I don't want to listen to you. Shut up. Like, you know, and then like, I mean, people are trying to also, I think to a way, uh, get credit from these other people and I mean in a way yeah the documentary well not that I want to get credit but I mean I want to get credit for my work you know a lot of people are jumping mm. in the bandwagon just to, to get uh, noticed because of this Yeah, and uh, yeah. there's a lot and the problem I think at the moment is there is a huge breakage with the survivors groups you know and that is the problem because I keep saying to, to PJ I say you guys have to get together and just go to the streets, but all together, not in groups of five or six people and two people there and two people there, mm, all mm. together, the whole country, because there's enough of them. And whereas, because of this breakage, I don't think they have enough power, and that's part of the problem. Because look yeah, at the farm. Yeah, yeah. The that's easy. It's easy to dismiss roads, one or yeah. two. Yeah. Blocked the roads, brought the tractors, did everything. But, you know, mm. this is different because they don't, they don't get together, mm. like, you know. But the the difficulty in that is, you know, you're asking people to advocate for themselves who've never had anyone advocate for them. Yeah, true. Yeah. You know, they don't have that. You know, many of them won't have that to draw upon. You know, how can I stand up for myself? You know, because deeply ingrained in them is they're the dirty bastard. There's something wrong with them. They're filthy. They're they're flawed from the get go. And then, you know, they're expected to stand up for themselves and go, actually, you know what, I'm. I'm a I'm actually a very loving lovely mm. person and we deserve something for this. And that fracture and it's easy to dismiss yeah. one Anne. It's easy to dismiss one PJ. Yeah. But that collective of yeah. all the Anns, yeah. all the PJs yeah. that can come together and go, No, you know what? No fucking more. Yeah. This this you know, this needs to yeah. be this needs to be addressed. And like still like nobody is being put to trial. No one has. And I think that's that's disgraceful mm. again. Like you know, nobody. Yeah. Like the you know, going back to any whether it's at the state level or whether it's at the institutional mm. level of the nuns, 
someone is responsible for this. Oh, someone made the decision, made decisions around yeah. this. Yeah, absolutely. The book stopped somewhere. But they, ha- they haven't even excavated the the grave. They ha- like if they haven't even done something as simple as that, no. how are they going to take steps to yeah. furthering this investigation? Yeah. And do you know what's the sad part? Like, you see Canada, they had the same thing this year, and they've already excavated everything. You mm. know, when it happened in Spain, they actually created a DNA bank, national DNA bank, where people who were adopted could actually donate DNA. And, uh, you know, people who had kids that were told that their kid passed, and they they mix and match thousands of families. But you need the government mm. to be proactive very soon, and it's the same with everything, you know, it's the same with the COVID. Mm. Oh, yes, the COVID now, oh, it's affecting the hospitals. No, the hospitals are already affected with or without COVID because yeah. the system is just poor and shit. And that's what it is. Like, yeah. and, yeah. and you know, they're always going, oh, no, this, they're blaming it on whatever, you know. And it's like, how yeah. many people can you fool with these statements, you know? Again, like I, I mentioned again, what I was saying to you before we started recording and is the fact of uh, the documentary, The Missing Children. Great. They've done that documentary. Good. It's broadcasted. It's diluted. It doesn't mention anyone. You know, that's nice. It's a polite documentary. But for RTE mm-hmm. to have the day that uh, Roderick O'Gorman said that they were going to look at the redress the next day, for RTE to claim that that was because of their documentary... I mean, mm. that is insane. That is insane. To clarify, RTE is the state yeah. broadcaster yeah. in Ireland. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how <laughs> they did. So just, we, we spoke about it, but obviously the listeners don't know. So they aired a different documentary trees yeah. around, around this and then claimed, oh, well, it's because we've aired this, you know, perhaps more sanitized mm. documentary. Mm. This is why now the, the redress is coming. Yeah. This is the claim that they're making. When you had for years now the survivors like actively doing as much as they could to get the redress, getting onto TVs, getting Mm. onto councillors, going to the doll, talking to people, trying to... Well, I know Rodrigo Gorman has been having Zoom conversations with them for months, you know. And for RTE to claim that this is because of them, I mean, I don't know... uh, (laughs) I mean, I think Ireland suffers, like, I mean, from a serious dose of a cultural hegemony where, you know, the state is, like, controlling absolutely everything and the view mm. that mm. other people outside Ireland have of Ireland is just a complete misconception of what the reality is. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, I suppose to give something to the Irish... Um, collective people mm. you know not many people weren't fucking horrified by this yeah. not you know i know i know i know from a couple of clients they stopped going to the church yeah. after it came oh, out yeah. you know it's like how you know questioning their faith how could there be a god how how could any how yeah. could any loving so-called yeah. loving god allow this to happen how could a catholic uh nuns yeah perpetrate yeah. this you know, a lot of people lost a lot of yeah. faith in, mm. in the Catholic Church as a result of this. But not only that, but also the outcrying mm. of grief from the public. Yeah. But that's not enough. No, you know, that's not enough. We again, need to. That's why we need to tell yeah. stories. And then this. again, we're blaming on the church. It was the church and the state and society. And the and state. Society yeah. Was, yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Like, 
Yeah. Also <laughs> of a lot of power. Because yeah. so the, and the state, yeah. the state being county councils yeah. who sold children, exactly. you know, to foster mm. children, and they had advertisements exactly. for children out to foster. Uh, was was it PJ that spoke in the documentary of? parents were led in or you know people were led in and it was kind of like picking a puppy yes that that was the sense i got it was like picking a puppy at the pound okay go in there see which one you want i think it was a pj that said he basically just looked up and smiled and that was it they they took him because because of that and 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 that's the way it happens you know they put out like three four kids five kids and then which one do you want this one okay yeah that's it and then of course uh, again, more segregation because if you looked a little bit shabby or unhealthy, they wouldn't pick you. <laughs> so, because they would be looking for someone yeah. strong, as PJ said, for uh, just to work on the land, work farm. You know? So, yeah. just you you going in there with the intentions of mm. uh, fostering a kid to work on the land, not to give yeah. them. Do you, do you know where else that you happened, know? Teresa? That happened in America. Yeah. And we call it slavery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where they brought over the biggest, strongest black men from Africa. Exactly. Slave owners came along and tested them, and well, he's yeah. strong. He'll 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 yeah. he'll be able to do it. And that's exactly that's it's the same yeah. thing that happened. You know, you're mm. picking them for labor, and you're gonna you're not gonna go. Well, he's he's fairly frail looking. He's sick looking. He's going to be no good to yeah. be out digging or milking cows at six o'clock that's in the morning. It. And that's that's the sad part of it that we need to start naming things in the way they should be named. And this was. Absolutely, slavery trade, yeah. and that was it. <laughs> Simple as you know. And uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it is shameful. It is, but I mean, just be proactive. Do what you have to do to solve it fully. Finally, you know, and then yeah. you know, don't do it again. Of course. That was straight talking, chewing babies. We hope you liked what you heard. If so, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Leave a comment. Or if you think someone you know would benefit from this podcast, by all means share it with them. Or on your social media pages, it could make a big difference in their lives. If you would like to share our social media pages on your social media pages, you can do that. You can find us on Twitter at STMHPodcast. Our website is STMHPodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talking Mental Health. Or if you'd like to be old school and drop us an email, you can do that at hello at STMHPodcast.com. These are the places you can get in touch with us. If you have a topic you'd be interested in, maybe you just want to tell us how much you love the episode because we know everyone that listens loves us because we're great. Big shout out to Fiona Bryan for the podcast music. He's an amazing producer and beat maker. Catch him on Facebook at FOB Beats. If you're a singer, a rapper, whatever, he'll look after you. And another shout out to Peter Dunn, who could not join us today, but has been frequent lately. So we have mm. to give him a bit of props. Normally we see Peter once every six months. Six weeks even. <laughs> and he do, he gets a little bit snippy if we don't shout him out when he's not on. So <laughs> I did shout out to him. Peter, the, the co-founder. Yeah. <laughs> that one time was enough though. We don't yeah. we don't want to repeat. <laughs> he fucking jumped on us that time. <laughs> now I will throw over to Alan <clears throat> for his signature line. Look after yourself, folks. And look after each other. So these are one of the things we do on the podcast for every guest that comes on. We we ask them to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings that they've taken from life, a motto that they live by, a creed, anything like that. Something that they'd like to share with the listeners around the world. Uh, maybe throw over to you to maybe impart some wisdom or something that you've taken yeah. from, this, from this life so far. Well, never make a movie in your life, no, I'm only... <laughs> <laughs> good advice <laughs> go work in mcdonald's he's better 
Yeah. <laughs> Fuck being yeah. a filmmaker. <laughs> For yeah. every Christopher Nolan, there's five yeah. billion that aren't. <laughs> exactly. No, no, you know what? I encourage every documentary maker that if they have a real story from somebody that is genuinely real and it needs mm. to be told, just go and say it, you know, because it is needed because we will never change society unless, you know, society is aware of what's happening. And yeah, you know what? It's been a horrible journey. I felt really bad. But the only solace that I found is the survivors are in the same journey for many years, you know. So I can only start mm. to understand their frustration because I'm very frustrated. Very, you know. So imagine them. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. and what they... Your frustration parallels yeah. theirs. You've, you've both had the same struggle of bringing light to this. Yeah, and- it's just like, so that is... But I found, like, I mean, in terms of a documentary maker and my own career, I've learned tons. And I mean tons. I've learned a lot because I had to pick up the production by myself, which was a very difficult thing to do. Mm. Uh, I learned to to edit <laughs> during uh, the time I was doing <laughs> I've learned everything, you know, in terms of uh, technical things. But I also learned that, uh, yeah, that it's very easy to be brushed off, you know, uh, it's very, it's a very hard fight to fight the system, but mm. this documentary is mm. gonna make noise, and I'm not stopping. Dream.